This is the word of God. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Eli, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places, broke down the pillar, and broke down the pillars, and cut down the Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, people, the people of Israel had made offerings to it, and it was called Neshutan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him whenever he went out. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Eli, the king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and and put them in Halah on the Habar, the river of Gozan, in the city of the Mideas, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it does stand forever. We thank you that it teaches us right and good truths that we need in this life. And we pray, Lord, that you would be with us now, that you would help us to understand your word, and that you would teach us, that I would move out of the way, and that we would hear you speak. And we say these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. The history of any country is a history of leadership. Sometimes the leadership is great and the nation thrives and it flourishes. Other times the leadership is poor and the nation suffers as a result. We know this is true of the history of our own nation. We can think about these examples in history. Though not everything that happens in a nation is a leader's fault, the truth still remains that as the leader goes, the nation follows. The country will follow along and they will feel the effects of a leader's rule. And what we're going to see in this passage this morning is just that. Two countries with separate but very different leadership. And And we will learn that to follow the leadership of our true king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we follow Christ's leadership in three ways. By worshiping him rightly, by holding fast to him alone, and by rejecting sinful leadership. Let's look at our first point. We follow Christ's leadership by worshiping him rightly. We'll see this point in verses 1 through 4. 2 Kings 18 tells us the story of Hezekiah's reign uh, as the king of Judah. It's whenever he began his reign. His father has died. It was a time of political and religious turmoil for the people of Israel and Judah. The nation was wrecked. Lord, the nations were wrecked with corruption from the wicked kings, both in Israel and Judah. Hezekiah's father Ahaz 
was not a righteous man. And just so we know what kind of man raised Hezekiah, let's look at some of the deeds of Ahaz. While he was king in Judah, Ahaz participated in child sacrifice. He made sacrifices to idols on the high places where they were worshipped. He used the bronze altar in the temple of God for divination, and he changed the whole structure of the temple, disrupting the right worship of God. The point of all that is so that you know that King Ahaz cared nothing for God. He was not a man who loved God, and he was not a man that would have raised his son to be a lover of the Lord. But thankfully, the Lord sent the prophet Isaiah to confront Ahaz on multiple occasions so that Hezekiah was exposed to the preaching of the, Lord, of the word of God and so he was brought forth in the love of God. And at this time, Judah is under the control of another nation, the nation of Assyria. The Assyrians at this time were the strongest empire in the entire world. They were the rulers over most of, this, of, most of the world at this time and Israel and Judah and the other nations around them were vassal states, so they were under the control of Assyria. Hezekiah's father Ahaz did not trust in the Lord, so instead, when the Assyrians came, when they came to put him under their boot, he rolled over and he submitted to the king of Assyria. He was a very wicked, wicked man. And I tell you all of that to let you know that the worship of God in Judah, in Jerusalem, where the temple of God was, where worship should have been central, and worship should have been right. It was all but lost. It was mixed with idolatry, and it, and it was far from what God had commanded for his people. And then comes Hezekiah. Out of the darkness of his father's reign, out of the darkness of the reign of the wicked kings in Israel, Hezekiah steps forward. Hezekiah is 25 years old when he starts to reign. That's my age. I know, I'm super young, but that's my age. So he stands up and he begins to reign, and he reigns 29 years. And the Bible tells us something very good about Hezekiah. Look with me in verse 3. It says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father David did. That sentence is a sentence that is used throughout the book of First and Second Kings, but it is used of the kings of Judah. Not all of them but of the good kings of, of Judah. The phrase, uh, right in the eyes of the Lord, is actually defined in another place in Scripture. It's in Deuteronomy 6, 17 through 18. You don't have to turn there, but the, the definition is diligently keeping the commandments of God. That's what Moses says. This is what is right in the eyes of the Lord, to diligently keep the commandments of God. So in other words, Hezekiah was a man that studied his Bible, and he obeyed his Bible. He was faithful to the Lord. He ran to the word of God and he did what the word of God told him to do. Instead of fighting it, instead of making all kinds of excuses like we do when we're young, he instead ran to the word of God. He didn't say it's not the right time for that. He didn't say I've got so much more that I want to do. He ran to God's word. From the get-go, he's seeking to live his life faithful to the Lord. But how does Hezekiah do this? What is the way that is so special about, the, about Hezekiah's life? How does he do what is right in the eyes of the Lord? Or we're told in verse 4. Please look with me with verse 4. It says, 
that Hezekiah, he removed the high places and he broke down the pillars and he cut down the Asherah. So the high places were where the idols were worshipped in Israel. And the language is emphatic. It's not someone else going out there for Hezekiah. Hezekiah didn't say, you, you, and you. Y'all go and you get rid of all the idols worship, all the idol worship, get rid of everything. He traveled across the nation and he broke down the pillars, he took down the high places, and he cut down the Asherah. So let's look at what those things are. So he tears down these, he tears all these things down so that there's no further place for them to worship idols. Before we get to what those are, another interesting point. Every other king that reformed the nation of Judah left the high places. Every single one. It says they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and they restored worship in the temple, but they left all the high places. They left a place for their people to run back to the idols. And oftentimes that's what we do. Oftentimes God will come and he'll take away some of our idols or, or we'll, we'll try to take away our idols actually. But we leave a little bit. We leave just a little bit sitting on the throne of our hearts so that we can run back to it later. It's not what Hezekiah does. He tears them all down so there's no place that, that his people can run back to for their idol worship. So we're told that Hezekiah broke down pillars. And the word for break there is that he shattered them. He didn't just knock them down. He destroyed the pillars. The pillars were symbols of the idols that the people were worshiping. And Hezekiah goes, like I said, around the nation. He's shattering all the idols he can find, and he's breaking down all the pillars. And then it says he cut down the Asherah. The Asherah was a Canaanite goddess of fertility. It was part of a cult that the people were into. And the idol might have been put in the temple by Hezekiah's father. But Hezekiah goes in, he pulls it out of the temple, and he cuts it into pieces. He gets rid of the idol worship, and he restores the worship of Yahweh, the true God, of Israel and of Judah in the temple. The last way that he purifies the worship of Judah is that he takes the bronze serpent that Moses used in Numbers chapter 21 to save the people of Israel and he bashes it into pieces. That's what the, the, the verb there is that he breaks it up into pieces. He beats it into dust. Kind of like how Moses beat into dust the golden calf and made the people drink it in the, in the wilderness. And the reason why he does this is because they had taken this symbol of the mercy and the salvation of God and they had made it an idol and they began to worship this snake on a pole. I hate snakes. I would never worship a snake on a pole. But we do take the things sometimes that God uses to help us and we make them idols. So we see that Hezekiah's heart, it burns with a passion for God to be worshipped rightly. He longs to have his people worship God correctly, so he smashes and breaks every idol that he can find. We are to be passionately consumed with the right worship of God. It shouldn't be something that is tucked away for Sunday. We should want to worship God rightly. In John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus is speaking with a, with a woman at the well, and he says, God is a spirit, and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not enough just to come with a, right, with a good spirit. You have to come in truth to worship God. We have to give up our idols. You can't worship God rightly if you are clinging on to your idols with a death grip. We have to call on the one who will come and smash our idols completely. 
But they do look so pleasing, don't they? The things that we worship. We make up a million reasons why they should stay and why they're good. Like, and we say that we sometimes we even disguise them as something that was pleasing to God, like the bronze serpent. Think about Hezekiah going and taking this bronze serpent that Moses himself made, and he breaks it into pieces, and the people were saying, Wait! Moses made that. What are you doing? God gave us that. And Hezekiah says, not to worship. He didn't give you that to worship. It's the same thing with some of the things in our life. We forget that our idols, they will kill us. They will not lead us to the gates of glory. And we must smash them. So there's an old saying. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right? There's another saying that could go go with that saying. That if it is broke... Don't fix it halfway. Fix it all the way. My grandfather, um, I never met him, but I know from my dad that he liked to rig things in the house because when we go to my grandmother's house to fix things, I hear my dad mumble under his breath, Dad, you rigged that, and now I've got to fix it. Because my grandpa would fix it kind of halfway. And what I've learned from that is when you fix something, don't fix it halfway. Fix it all the way. The worship in Judah had been broken for so long Because the kings had only fixed it halfway. Hezekiah fixes it all the way. Often our worship is broken. And it's mixed. Because we're holding on to our idols. And we fix it halfway sometimes. We have to fix it all the way. We have to smash the idols. Sometimes we can hold on to idols like success in our jobs. The way that our children act. Our grades in school. Our reputation in the community. And on and on and on. And we have to give them up. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about the way that your kids act. You shouldn't care about grades, and you shouldn't care about those things. But we shouldn't worship them. We shouldn't make those the most important thing. John Calvin rightly said, Our nature is a perpetual forge of idols. Basically, he's saying, we pump out idols. We're really good at it. And we take the good things that God gives us, and we twist them into something ugly sometimes. We need, and we set them on the throne of our heart, and we tell Jesus... You need to scoot over a little bit. Make room. And we must stop. Jesus does not make room on the throne of our hearts. The Bible says he won't give his glory to another. We must call on the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to break our idols. To break them completely. Call on Christ to clean out our hearts. That's what we need. That is a prayer that he will listen to and that he will answer every time. It might be a little bit painful, but he will answer the prayer, Lord, break my idols. And then we need to worship him rightly, the way that he tells us to in his word. So secondly, we see that we follow Christ's leadership by holding fast to him alone. Look with me at verses 5 through 8. The passage, it goes on and it says that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord like none before him or after. Now this is the center of the passage. This is the point that the, that the passage is trying to make. That this is why Hezekiah went throughout the country, tearing down idols and smashing them, because he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the covenant God of his people. That is the motivation for everything that he does. This is the thing that drives Hezekiah's reign over his people, his trust in the Lord. The author also, he contrasts Hezekiah and God with the idols and the people of Israel, uh, and, and the people of Judah as well. He says that 
Hezekiah trusts in the Lord, the God of Israel. And the things that Hezekiah had been demolishing, the idols that the people were worshiping, they were content to follow those things until they had a leader come and tell them, stop. Stop worshiping this. Stop worshiping those idols and worship God. Look also and see that God says that he is not just the God of Judah, but he is the God of Israel. He's the God of all of his people. The author says that he is not just a God of a certain group. This faith that Hezekiah exercised is the same faith that we are called to exercise. Faith is placing our trust in the Lord, not only for the work that he has done, but for who he is as God, as our God and our King. Hezekiah is so commended that we're told in verse, uh, I think it's six, verse 5 and 6 that there was none like him before or after. That there was none that trusted in the Lord so completely like Hezekiah. And we should long to be described that way. We should long for people to say there is none that trusts in the Lord like that person, like that one. Not to impress the people around us. Not so people will think that we're great Christians. But think about it. With your spouse, do you want anyone to love your spouse more than you? No. None of us want that. None of us want someone to say, oh yeah, that person loves them a whole lot more than their husband or their wife does. We want to be the person that loves our spouse the most. Not to impress others, but because that's our spouse. It's the same with God. We should want to love the Lord with everything that we are, not to impress those around us, but because he is our God. So how does Hezekiah show this trust? We're told in verse 6 that he held fast to the Lord. The idea there in the Hebrew is that he did not turn away from following God. The thought here is that he is someone who consistently walks behind God. The language is very strong. The author says that he never abandoned the Lord. And he shows this in two ways. First, he does not turn away from the commandments that the Lord gave Moses. Hezekiah didn't see the law of God as a burden, as something, as a weight to throw off because it was wrong or holding him down. He saw the law, the word of God, as a gift from God, as a grace from God, and he wanted to mold his life around it. He wanted to run to God's law. See, the law is not a weight. It's not given to tie you down. It's given to show us our need of Christ. And after we run to Jesus, it's there to show you what God loves and what God hates. What God wants for his people and what he does not want. It's the same reason why we tell our kids, don't touch that stove, it's hot. That's not you being a mean parent. That's you being a good, loving parent. Same with God. When God says, don't do that, it will kill you. That's what the law is about. And the second way that Hezekiah shows his trust is that he battles the enemies of God. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. We're told that the Lord was with him as he went out, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria. Now again, Assyria is a great and an expansive empire. It covers the known world. And they have control of all the nations that surround Judah. And Hezekiah is so committed to the right worship of God and wanting to lead his people correctly that he rebels against the king, who, against this empire that is idolatrous and rules over them. But Hezekiah didn't just rebel by like 
not paying taxes to the Assyrians and things like that, he actually went on the offensive. It says that he struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza from every watchtower and fortified city. The Philistines, as you know, are the people that Goliath came from. They're these ancient enemies of God and God's people. And they and Hezekiah goes out and he fights the enemies of God. The Philistines had actually invaded Judah during Hezekiah's father's reign, and they took away land that was given to the people by God. And Hezekiah takes it back. He is God's instrument against his enemies. He's trusting in the Lord by being defensive, by protecting worship at home, by having right and, and good worship of God in his nation. And he's going on the offensive by fighting the enemies of God. And we are called to do the same thing. No, we're not called to go and raise an army and go out and fight the nations around us. We're not called to go into mosques and temples and bash idols and things like that. The Word of God tells us in Ephesians that we fight against principalities. We fight with the Word of God. We take up the sword of the Spirit, God's Word, and we go out into clover and we live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. We're called to worship God rightly, right here at Clover, ARP Church. And we're called to go out and give the gospel into this city, into this town, into our workplaces and our schools, and to live the way that God calls us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we don't do this in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. We are weak, and we need him to make us strong. We must call upon him who is able to obey the commandments of God. Christ, to obey them perfectly for us, to help us obey and trust in the Lord. Have you ever met anybody who was just all into something, whether it was a sports team, a TV show, or whatever it is, but they're all about it. They talk about maybe it's cars, but that's what they talk about all the time. And what I've noticed is that if it's a sports team, they don't just know all the stats and, and all the things about the players, but they actually go to the games. They actually... They're mostly at the games every time they're playing, or they try to be at least. And if it's cars, they don't just talk about the cars that they like, and I really like this car because of the color and, and all this kind of stuff. But they're going to car shows. They're working on their cars when they mess up. They're, they're participating in the things that they're passionate about. They're not just talking about it, but they're living it. They're in that, they're in that life. And the same should be said of us with the Lord. We should not just talk about the Lord, but we should be participating in the life of the Lord. We should be living for the gospel. We should not just go on the defensive and talk about how we love the Lord, but we should go on the offensive. We should love and trust and live out our faith in this world. And we are called to show our love and trust in the Lord by telling our friends about the Lord. You see, you, you are placed in a mission field with the families that you're in, the workplace that you're in, the schools that you're in. God has sovereignly put you where you are. No one can have the impact that you can have where you are. Only you can. I can't talk to your families the same way you can. I can't talk to your friends the same way that you can. That's why God put you there. So that we can live offensively. We can tell people, and we can be a light for Christ in the dark world around us. We shouldn't squander the opportunities that God gives us. We should fight for his kingdom against the kingdom of darkness in this world. But 
Take heart. What does Christ say? He has overcome the world. You're not fighting a losing battle. You're fighting a winning battle. Your Savior is risen, and He sits on the throne of heaven, and He rules this world. So every time you go out with the sword of the Spirit, every time you go out and talk to your friends about Christ, you're not fighting a losing battle. You're fighting a winning one. Read the book of Revelation. It's very encouraging. Jesus wins. We all go home, and Jesus wins. When you go out and you tell people about Christ, take heart. Christ has already won. But let's move on to our our third and final point, that we follow Christ's leadership by rejecting sinful leadership. We're going to see this in verses 9 through 11. In these last few verses, we're we're given a summary of what happens to the northern nation of Israel. We're told in verses 9 through 11 that the king of Assyria came and he besieged the capital city of Samaria and that the people in the the town and city are not able to hold out and they are taken and deported into exile. It says to the city of the the Mideas. So that's probably around the Tigris River, somewhere around northwestern Iran. That's where the people are taken. So the people of Israel, they are far from home. They're in a land that they do not know. They have seen their people been killed in the streets. It's been a bad day. And they're taken away. And the question is, why? And God answers it. Look at verse 12. It says, Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, obeyed, uh, uh, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. They followed the leadership of King Hoshea and the kings before them that were idolatrous kings that went after false gods and they became false. This is in stark contrast to Hezekiah. Remember, it says in verse 5 and 6 that Hezekiah never turned away from the commandments of God given to him by Moses. But these people neither listened nor obeyed them. The difference between the two kings is their attitude and their commitment to the word of God. Hezekiah trusted in the word of God. Hoshea and the kings of Israel did not. They couldn't care less about the word of God. But how did Hoshea reject the word of God? Flip over one page back to, back to uh, 2 Kings 17. I'm going to look with me at verses 13 through 18. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to summarize it. And as I do, just look through those verses. It says that they did not listen to the prophets that came to turn the hearts of the people back to the Lord. In verse 15, it says that they went after false idols and they became false themselves. They followed the nations around them that the Lord specifically told them not to. And they abandoned the commandments of the Lord. They made two calves to worship and they worshiped Asherah and Baal, two Canaanite gods. But the worst thing that they did, the sickest thing that they did, was that they gave their children to the idols. And they followed after the occult. They threw the word of God in the trash can and they went after all these other things. That's what the leaders of the nation were doing. That's what their culture was telling them to do. Beloved, we live in a world that tells you to do the same thing. We live in a world that has some of the same abominable practices that the kings of Israel had. They even happen in our very nation. I love our country, but there is sin in it. 
And it's important to understand that leadership is not always as blatant as a leader standing up and saying, do this thing that is against the word of God. A lot of the times it's very subtle. Every song you listen to, every radio station you hear, every book you read, TV show you watch, movie, whatever, it all has a sermon. What are they preaching about? It's important to listen and to understand what they're saying. It's important to know what we listen to and what our kids listen to. And the thing is, the world is really good at spreading its message. It sounds really tolerant, and it sounds really good and appealing. But it's not. And also, even good, great leaders fail when they fall. When Hezekiah is 31, the Babylonians, they come into the city. So his city is being attacked by the king of Assyria. And the Babylonians come in, and Hezekiah shows them all this good stuff, all the stuff that he has, because he thinks, I know what I'll do. I'll get the Babylonians to help me beat the Assyrians. Because he must have been thinking after Israel fell, am I next? Are they going to come and take take over my country and take out my people? So he seeks to make this alliance, and he fails, because he's a sinful person. He's a sinful human being. And ultimately, Hezekiah points forward to a greater king. He points forward to the king, Jesus Christ, the greater king of Israel and Judah, the one who followed and held fast to God completely. He never failed and he never faltered. When you seek to reject the sinful leadership of this world, don't do it on your own. Run to the one who did it before you. When Jesus was on the earth, he had political leaders, he had religious leaders, people around him and Satan himself telling him to abandon God and go and do these other things. And Jesus rejected it. And that's what we're called to do. We're not called to reject the leadership that we don't like and we're not called to reject the leadership that we think is mean and maybe offended us a little bit. We're called to understand what is right and good from God's word, to look at leaders and to be able to say this is sinful and this is not. That's what we're called to reject, and that's what we're called to do. So I don't have any children, which is a good thing, because I'm not married. But I don't have any children. And I'm also told by people around me that children are like sponges. They kind of like soak up everything that you do, that you say. And we're kind of leading them all the time, whether we like it or not. And people are like that, too. We say it about kids, but we kind of forget that as adults, we're still kind of like sponges, We still hear and say everything that people say and do. And we say, oh, that sounds really good. I think I'll do that. I don't like that very much. I'll definitely do that. We need to remember that we are leading people every single day. Whether it's your own kids, kids around you, or the people around you in your workplace. But we're (coughs) leaders. So this morning, if you have never, ever looked to the leadership of Christ... Run to the cross today. Everything I'm telling you to do, everything that I've said, it's impossible without Jesus. You can't run to Christ. You can't seek after Christ's leadership if you don't run to him and fall at the foot of the cross and beg Jesus to lead you. And he will. He's not hard to convince. All you have to do is have faith. That's all, we have, that's all we're called to do. We have faith and we live our life according to God's word. But if you have, if today you call Christ your king and your God, seek to follow his leadership. 
Seek to obey, obey him in all that you do. Let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with these things. Father, we thank you for everything that you give us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for good examples and bad examples in your word. Lord, we are able to read the Bible, and we know that it's not candy-coated, it's not sugar-coated, it's your word. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for showing us kings like Hezekiah, the good examples, kings like Hoshea, bad examples of what to watch out, good examples of what to watch out for, Lord. But we thank you most of all for your son, who is the great king and who helps us to obey your word. We pray that you would help us to do this. We say these things in Christ's name.